Amen. Hey, can you guys give the band a hand for leading us in worship this morning? Awesome. You guys may be seated. Hey, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, uh, where we're saved by Jesus' work. We're changed by Jesus' grace, and we're living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist uh, to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And a big part of how we do that is as we gather together on Sunday, we sing his praises, we remember his work on the cross at communion, and we open up God's word, and we want God's story to not just inform but impact our stories. And so um, at the beginning of this year, we began a new series in the book of Ruth called From Bitter to Blessed, um, and, and it's a series about how, how God's kindness to us brings us healing and wholeness in the midst of and in response to desolations, tragedies, trials, brokenness. And maybe you're like, hey, I'm three weeks into the year. I'm feeling good. Well, why do you got to come bring me down? And it's like, hey, the, the reality is these are all things that we face. These are all different. We always will face difficulties, trials, and challenges, and yet we need to be able to see God's goodness and kindness to us in the midst of that. And so um, if you're new this week and we see a lot of these faces, um, we're, we're glad you're here. Um, hopefully on your way in, uh, you got one of our discipleship guides. Uh, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3 this week, week 3, um, Hope in Petition. Um, we also have these scripture journals, which just has uh, the whole book of Ruth in it, so that you, we just want to get God's word into your hand. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to Ruth chapter 3, but, but Ruth uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, a uh, four-chapter uh, book, um, is, is one self-contained story. So maybe you're coming in, like I said, first week, or you missed last week, whatever. It's important for us to recap where we've been so you know where we are, because uh, it's not a standalone. It's, it's, it's one big story. And so in Ruth chapter 1, um, we learned that it was a time uh, about, you know, 12 to 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus, um, where uh, it, there was a time of just national faithlessness. Like God's people had been brought out of slavery in Egypt. They've been, been provided for in the wilderness. They've been brought into a promised land. Everything was supposed to be smooth sailings. And yet generations went by where God's people were just faithless. And God is patient, but God is also just. And so after several generations of faithlessness, God, God just kind of removed some of his favor from his people at that time. And so it said there was a famine in the land. There was a famine economically, there was a famine spiritually, there was a famine politically with a lack of leadership. Uh, there, all of these things were going on because it said it was a time where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There wasn't even objective truth. And so, you know, we're like, hey, that was like 3,000 years ago. Everything's great now, right? Then none of those things happen now. We're all doing great spiritually, relationally, economically, politically. No, no, like, like the Bible's story, like, informs what we're going through today. And so in that big geopolitical landscape, we met this small family led by a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, his two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they lived in this town called Bethlehem that meant like house of bread, house of provision, and while the famine was going on, they said, you know what? We've had enough. Like, like the, the winters in Washington are too dark. It's time to leave, right? Um, we don't like it politically. We don't like anything else, and they, they left, and, and they went to the land of Moab, 
And you're like, oh, okay, that's like we said, that's not going to Idaho or Texas or Florida. It's like going to Iran. Like it's, it's a, a pagan nation that is absolutely opposed to the God of the Bible. And so they go there seeking refuge, seeking um, you know, provision, and, and things do not go well for them. Elimelech dies. Naomi's two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry women from Moab, which at that point in the Old Testament was, was not allowed because um, it, it, you know, you're going to take on the, the, the spiritual temperature of your spouse. Uh, and so uh, they go and, uh, and get married. And then it says, after 10 years, both of the sons have died. And so Naomi's lost her land. She's a foreigner. She's a refugee in a place that hates the Lord, hates God's word, hates God's people. Her sons are both dead. And now she's got these two daughter-in-laws, um, Orpah and Ruth, and, and Naomi's out working in the field. And then she hears that God's been faithful to his people in Bethlehem. That yes, there was a famine for a season, but, but even in our faithlessness, God still remains faithful to us. And she hears, wait, there's, there's food again in Bethlehem. And so she, she goes to, to leave, to go back towards Bethlehem. And on the way, Ruth and, and um, Orpah are going with her. They come to a crossroads. And Naomi's like, hey, there's nothing for you guys in that land. In fact, I'm not even sure what I'm going to find. I've got nothing. I'm empty. I've lost my sons. I've lost my husband. I've lost my hope. Go. There's nothing for you there. And one of them, Orpah, returns back home to Moab. But the other, Ruth, like shows undying allegiance to Naomi as a friend. She, she shows great um, uh, uh, faithfulness in saying, no, not only, Naomi, I'm going to be there for you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Literally, your nation will be my nation. So she's pledging allegiance to the God of the Bible. She doesn't know what's going to happen there, but she knows those Moabite gods are, are worthless. So I, I want to trust this God who's providing for his people in Bethlehem. And Naomi's like, yeah, whatever. You can come with me. That's fine. And they roll into Bethlehem, and she meets all of the people um, that, that remembered her from 10 years ago. And they're like, oh, hey, Naomi, like, we don't have Facebook. Like, how have you been? And she's like, don't call me Naomi, which the name means sweet. Rather, call me Mara, which names means bitter. And we said, hey, when, when you start adopting an identity of bitterness, like the words and the identities that you call yourself have a huge impact on how you see the world. She says, I went away full, which is not true, because, right, time of famine went to a place spiritually difficult, but I've come home empty. I have nothing. And we said that when all you can see is pain, when all you can see is grief and loss, you can't see what has been provided for you. Because the reality is she's got her family, she's got her community. She's now in this place of, uh, uh, of provision in Bethlehem. She has Ruth, who just like Ruth was a widow. Ruth went through difficulties. Ruth didn't have to leave Moab, but she showed up and, and endured with her like for her path of healing and, and wholeness. And chapter one ended with this glimmer of hope where it said, and it was the time of the barley harvest. So it began in famine, but ended in harvest. And so last week we went into Ruth chapter two. And in Ruth chapter two, um, we, we, we said, hey, sometimes when, when you're in grief and loss, you just get stuck and you can't move on. 
And sometimes it takes someone else to be proactive, someone else to walk alongside you to help you on your path of healing. And so we, we learn that Naomi not only has this community, but there's actually specific family members that are for her. We learn about this guy named Boaz. The, in this, this time of lawlessness, in this time where, where men are violent and abusive, Boaz stands apart as this mighty man of valor, possibly could have been a, a veteran uh, at, at that point, who, who's running now this small business, and, and, and he's faithful. He, he's like, he's related to Naomi's family. Like, he could be there to help provide. He could be there to help redeem. And so Ruth hears about this, and Ruth is like, hey, Naomi, we're here. We don't have anything. I'm going to get out of the house, and I'm going to go glean, which was this Old Testament work release program where you could work release. wasn't prison. Work welfare program, okay, where, where you could go into the fields that are being harvested, and whatever like, didn't get harvested by the reapers, you could collect for your provision. And the Old Testament law actually said, hey, you need to leave some things in your field for the working poor. And so Boaz's field was one that was faithful to that. And so she goes there and she's working hard. She's, she's gleaning, doing all these things. And then we meet Boaz and he shows up. And we realize that, that Boaz runs his business more Christian than Chick-fil-A. Like, like he walks in and, and it's not like, hey, my pleasure. Like the whole staff just goes, the Lord be with you. And, and we're like, oh my gosh. Like, look at this. He didn't just like put a fish on his business card. Like, like his employees like love the Lord. This is awesome. And, and, and he's there, and he goes, hey, who, who's that? Who's that gal in the, the field? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the young Moabite that came with Naomi, your relative. And, man, she's been working hard. And then they have this kind of like first date meet cute deal where at lunchtime they come and they eat this kind of shared meal with a bunch of folks. And, and he says, hey, take, take some, of your, some of your bread and, and dip it in this wine. And we said, hey, that, that's like a, a shadow of, of communion, of the table that we get when we're in communion with Jesus, where he says, hey, take some of this bread and dip it uh, in the, the wine and remember my body broken for you, my blood shed for you, how I've redeemed you, how I've given you favor. And so Ruth receives the favor and he says, I'm going to give you provision, work in my field. I'm going to give you protection, like the world out there, broken, nasty, lots going on. You stay in my field. You stay with my ladies that are working in the field, and you're going to have community. You're going to be protected. You're going to be provided for. And we said, that is what we want to see in our church as a gospel community, a place where outsiders who are hopeless can come in, become insiders and feel community, protection, provision, and communion that comes with a relationship with God, a relationship with God's people. And so it's the time of the harvest. It's a long intro, but there's a lot going on here. And she goes back home, and Naomi begins to feel a little bit of encouragement because she hears that Ruth got favor from Boaz. She brought back like 30, 40 pounds of barley. And, and, and she, she says, bless the Lord. Whereas in chapter one, she said, God is against me. He's left me empty. Now she's saying, bless the Lord who's provided for us. That yes, we should like endure in difficult circumstances, but there are times that God's kindness to us is in our circumstances for the purposes of our healing and our hope, not being found in, in material things, but being found in the one who provides all things for us, which is our creator, God. And that leads us into Ruth, 
chapter 3, where we see hope renewed. And so I've broken this up into three parts. We're going to start with verses 1 through 5. It says this, Ruth chapter 3. This is after Ruth 2, where it says she lived with her mother-in-law and kept working in the harvest. And then it said this in Ruth chapter 3, 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Okay, there, there's a lot here, but let's, let's begin with this, okay? For growth and healing to occur, change needs to happen. For growth and healing to occur, change needs to happen. And so, to, to be clear, we cannot force growth and healing, but we can foster it, okay? And so, this means that there's going to be times where we, in our faith journey, we, in our uh, uh, path of healing and wholeness, like, there are times you're going to have to take bold next steps, they require faith and require courage. Particularly when we're stuck, we need to be reminded that change is actually possible. Sometimes we get so stuck, so jammed up, that we're just like, this is all there is. It's never going to get better than this. And so, as I said before, complacency is important. Like, it's okay, sorry, contentment is important, rather. Like, in all situations, we're called to be content, but complacency isn't healthy. Like God's desire for you actually is growth. It actually is to walk towards greater wholeness, towards greater peace, towards greater flourishing. And so um, we can't always assume that what got us to where we are or what's sustaining us right now is going to be what carries us into the next season we have. And so what we see here um, in these verses is that the, the long-term hope for Naomi and for Ruth has been renewed. The, it, now the harvest is over. The six or eight weeks have gone by from the time that they arrived in Bethlehem. And Ruth has been faithful. She's been working, right? Uh, gleaning each week. Uh, and, and now the harvest is over. The grain is being threshed. Um, I don't know what that means, but it's probably like some sort of processing thing. That's fine. You can look that up on your own. But the point is the harvest is over. All the grain is being brought in to the storehouses and being processed to be then used, you know, for the next season. And so Ruth has been working in Boaz's field. She's been living with her mother-in-law. And God has been so kind to both of them. He's been kind to Naomi through Ruth's faithfulness. He's been kind to Ruth through Boaz's faithfulness. And so, like, this gleaning has been a blessing to them. But, but I want you to hear this. Even spiritually speaking, gleaning, just getting the scraps, like, that is a fine deal for sustenance in times of difficulty. But gleaning is not a long-term strategy. In fact, it wasn't for the working poor. Like, like, you can't just glean because once the harvest is over, that's it. There's nothing left at that point. And so um, it's great for survival, but not for long-term flourishing. And so just like the, the pumpkin spice latte and the McRib, like gleaning is only for a limited time, okay? Right, and then it's, and then it's gone. 
And I'll tell you, one of those is okay, the other is disgusting. And I'll let you decide which one is which, okay? And so here they are. They, they've had this soft landing coming into Bethlehem, but something's going to have to change for Ruth and Naomi pretty quickly if they're going to make it through the winter, if they're going to make it into the next season. And so just a couple of months uh, ago, um, you know, they were at a crossroads on whether they should go or stay for, for um, uh, Ruth. And this is another crossroads. What's going to happen next? And a few months earlier, Naomi had been like, hey, just go. There's no hope. There's nothing for you. God is against us. And now we get to see in week three here, Naomi's continued healing has been happening. And it has led her to start thinking about not just her survival, but what's going to lead to Ruth's long-term flourishing. Like, remember, Naomi's a widow, but so is Ruth. Like Naomi knows some people in town, but, but Ruth is seen as this, as this outsider, maybe even an enemy of their culture and of their community. And so as the harvest days grow, grow to a close, like Naomi's moved from paralyzing hopelessness to, to purposeful action. And this happens to us when we begin to experience God's faithfulness, God's presence, God's provision in our life, materially, spiritually, however you want to see that. But when we start to be reminded and see God's kindness to us in kind of those daily bread moments of endurance and survival and sustenance, man, it just, it changes us. Like it, it strengthens our hearts, even when that happens for a short season. It, it, it builds our confidence in him. It refreshes our souls. And most importantly, I think, it renews our hope. And it allows us to no longer just see the grief and loss that we've experienced, but to actually begin to see a path forward of greater healing and flourishing. And so, the kindness that Naomi has received from God has changed her whole outlook on and perspective and response to the situation her and Ruth are in. And this is what it looks like. It's an, it, it's an inward orientation moving to an outward orientation. See, when we're in pain, our perspective begins to shift from outward, others, what's going on? You start to hurt, you start to have loss, you start to have grief, and all of a sudden... Your whole focus is right here. Your chest is tightened up. You're in anxiety. You're in grief. You're in pain. And all of a sudden, nothing else that happens to anyone else matters because you're in pain. You're in grief. You're in loss. Hey, there are times and seasons for that. But what we actually experience is our world shrinking and getting smaller. It's just about us. It's just about our pain. It's just about our suffering. It's just about our grief. And what happens if, if we don't just visit those places of grief, but if we linger there, if we begin to live in those places, then bitterness begins to set in. And we get stunted and we get and remain broken. And so we get self-consumed. We assume that our pain is the only pain that's out there. And when we lack empathy and we lack being able to encourage others. But conversely... Something happens when we're on a path of healing, when we're on a path of wholeness, when the Holy Spirit's there to comfort us, when God's provision is there to encourage us, when community is around us, that our perspective goes from exclusively inward to begin to see outward. 
Where, oh, yeah, I know I'm healing. I know I'm hurting. I know I've had something, you know, that's been painful. But now you're able to, to, to kind of like, like when, when the tears of trauma are wiped away, you can begin to see other people's stories. You can begin to see what other people are going through. And even part of your path of healing is in how you encourage and help others. And so, like we said this a couple weeks ago, that Ruth was way ahead of Naomi in healing and faithfulness because she's beginning to serve Naomi and serve others. Now, Naomi, after a couple weeks, rather, you know, a couple months of seeing God's provision, seeing God's goodness, she's starting to say, hey, I care about you, Ruth. You've been so good to me. You've walked with me through all this difficulty. I want to see you, Ruth, flourish. When she says, I want to see you have rest, she's not talking about leisure. She's talking about that, that settled rest of not just being this, this widow outsider, but, but Ruth, you're, you're young. Like, like you could be married again. You could, you could possibly have children. You could possibly have a, a legacy. You could be provided for and protected in that society. And so, so daily provision whether materially or spiritually, that's a blessing from God. But sometimes there are times of great abundance where God provides for us in ways that help us to have a long-term vision and greater security in his goodness and grace that leads to, to greater joy. God wants us to experience lasting joy. God will meet us in our emptiness, but he doesn't want us to remain there. He will, he will bring us fullness through the comfort of his Holy Spirit. And so Naomi wants more for Ruth than just gleaning. Like it is okay to have God be faithful to you in the wilderness. Yes and amen. And there's also times where God is leading us to places where the Bible would say is in Gedi or rest, where our souls are settled, where it said in chapter two, that, you know, Ruth ate this meal and she was satisfied. That's God's desire for us. Communion, love, community with him and his people. And so he tells Ruth to do something. She tells Ruth, go ahead and take off your grief and put on hope. Take off your grief. It's time to put on some hope. He's saying, hey, or she's saying, hey, go ahead, take off your like whatever robe you were gleaning in the fields with. Put on, you know, put on a robe that, that, that tells, like, like, like everything had a lot of significance in this community. So like what you wore and how you engaged with people had great significance. So if you put on a certain garment and said, hey, I'm done grieving now. I, I'm actually ready for other opportunities, right? Change the relationship status, right, on the deal. Like, hey, like, like all right, we're, we're single. We're ready to, ready to maybe meet some other people now. Still grieving, still a widow, but like, hey, I'm ready to possibly move on. So she's telling her to do that. She's saying, hey, I have a vision for a path ahead for you. Ruth. He encourages her to present herself to Boaz, and so she gets cleaned up. She changes out of her widow's garment, puts on this new cloak, uh, and, and show up on the threshing floor and seek a marriage proposal. That's what she's asking her to do. I just want to be clear about that. So let me, let me just pause for a second and say, there are some things in the Bible that are seen as prescriptive, meaning they are telling us how to live as one of God's people. And there are other things in the Bible that are descriptive, that are describing something that has happened to people who are in the Bible. And, and when something is descriptive, there might be lessons that we can learn, and I think there are here, but it doesn't mean that that's what every Christian should do. 
So to be explicitly clear, I don't foresee Tara and I ever giving our daughters the counsel that Naomi gave to Ruth. Go get dressed up, show up to a raging party, wait for the guy to, to have a really great time, pass out, get into bed with him, and do whatever he says. Nope. Not even a little bit. No, 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 no. Okay? That is not like, oh, this is how Christian courtship should look like. No, 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 no. Okay? This is descriptive about what these women did at this particular time in this particular place. But like I said, I do believe that there's lessons that we can glean, if you will, from uh, what happened here uh, about, about intentionality, about urgency, about opportunities and risk. And so for Ruth and Naomi, hey, like I said, the harvest is over. It, it, it's, it's time now. Like, like, hey, you've been gleaning. That's great. You've seen Boaz at work every day, right? You kind of like look at each other at the copy room. Like, hey, that's great. But, but it's time to move on to something that's, that's much more substantial, much more secure, much, much more uh, uh, like permanent. And so the time is now. And this happens in our lives, that there are windows of opportunities in our life to make a change, to have a breakthrough. To, to plan for whatever that next season is. And sometimes we presume that however things are now is just going to stay that way forever. And we're not paying attention to the seasons of our lives. And so this is a, a call for us to, to maybe have a little bit of urgency and intentionality about what might be next in our lives. That not, not every opportunity for us will always be available. And so the gleaning time has come to an end. Perpetual provision is needed. And so, I mean, this is something that like I'm talking about with some of my high school kids. It's like, hey, this is the time now for you to be focused academically, not because, you know, 20 years from now it matters what your grades are, but 20 years from now it might matter like what opportunities you have after high school, right? That's a window of opportunity, right? Some of you have, you know, kids at home now, and it's like, hey, this is your window of opportunity to disciple them, to, to shape them, to help, help encourage their worldview. Window of opportunity closing. Some of you are in jobs, businesses, you know, where it's like, hey, this is my time to, to build this business, to, to provide for my family, to do these things. And so, like, like, it's okay, and not just okay, we should, at times, have a sense of urgency and intentionality. And so, we said last week that to, to not change something is to choose it. And so I think for us at certain points, apathy is as much a decision as action is. And so you're just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and let my marriage continue to suck and not do anything intentional about it to fix it. Like, yeah, yep, yeah, no, we're just in a bunch of debt. We'll probably never get out. So why, why save? Why pay down bills? Why work hard? Like, like no, no. Intentional action, taking steps forward to help lead, not just from daily provision, but to, but to places of flourishing and, and joy. And so I believe that at times we are called to take calculated faith-fueled risks for the purposes of being able to experience greater joy and flourishing in the season ahead. And that's what we see Ruth do in these next verses. We'll see how it goes. Verses 6 through 11 says this. So she went down to the threshing floor, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. 
Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Uh, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And this is where we begin to see that hope sometimes can be risky. That hope actually does require risk because you're actually trying to envision a greater preferred future than where you're at today. And so it's harvest party time, months of cultivating and planting and planning and tending the fields, weeks of harvest. The grain's been brought in. It's been processed. It is time to celebrate. This is the high point of their year. And they've got this big party in the threshing floor after everything's finished, like big time office Christmas party, right? And, and Boaz, it says, he has ate, he has drank, and his heart was merry. Like, man, this is, a, this is a good day, guys. We had a good year. Lots to celebrate. And to kind of protect all of the harvest, he sleeps at the bottom of the pile of all their grain. And it's the middle of the night. It actually, maybe he's like passed out. And Ruth actually did what Naomi said. Like, she... She shows up and says, behold, a woman lay at his feet. He's like, who this? Like, what's going on? He's kind of curious. This is a very delicate situation. Like, like I said, not, don't do this. Don't do this, okay? Very delicate situation. And for Boaz and for Ruth, um, he asks her, who are you? And she says, this is your servant, Ruth. What that was was a phrase of intimacy and allegiance. See, throughout the, the book before, she's been referred to as the Moabite, as the widow. Well, that's not her identity anymore. She's been working in the field. She's been working with Boaz's people. Like, like she's been on this path of healing and wholeness. She's not going to be defined anymore by being a, a Moabite outsider. She's not going to be defined anymore by her grief. She's saying, no, no, my allegiance and loyalty and intimacy is with you, Boaz. Her sense of identity is settled because she has gone from a foreign outsider to a favored insider in this community. And when she says spread your wings, that, that can also translate as spread your garment. But either way, the phrase is meant to, connote, to, to have the connotation of provision and protection. Hey, I'm single Ruth all on my own in this very, very difficult, toxic, violent culture. Like, I want your provision and protection over me as your wife, over Naomi as your relative, but over as your mother-in-law. Like this is specifically what she's asking, provision and protection. She's saying you are a redeemer, which like is just kind of like a foreign concept for us. So a, 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 what was called a kinsman redeemer at that time was a close male relative who saw it as his responsibility and in fact like was his responsibility in the Old Testament to provide and protect for his family, particularly in times of tragedy. So 
or, or times of loss. So um, to preserve the family status. So if a family farm went into great debt and they mortgaged it and somebody else owned it, the kinsman redeemer would step in and say, no, I'm going to pay that debt. I'm going to make sure that that stays in the family, even though this decision and disaster happened over here, where, where somebody maybe indebted themselves or found themselves sold into slavery. The kinsman redeemer would, would, would like, like with great intentionality, uh, like unrelentingly, like not stop until he had secured their freedom. That's what a redeemer does. And in some circumstances where a brother had died uh, and he had not had an heir yet, that at times then another brother would say, I will marry my brother's wife, the widow, and we will try to continue that legacy under his name. And all of those, that is what Ruth is asking Boaz to do. And so in this case, he wants Ruth to, to, or Boaz to marry her, to assume responsibility for her, Naomi, see if we can continue that family line. And so she's, she's trusting and relying on the Lord. Uh, and, and yet she's also specifically petitioning to Boaz for what she wants to see happen with great humility, but also great boldness and clarity. She's like, this is how I want to see this go. And for her, this is, this is the big risk, right? This is the big swing. Like she's, she's putting herself out, out there, like, like great big risk, but great big reward. And so high reward for her future. And so, I mean, I just want to be clear. Like, like sometimes taking a big risk can just be foolish. Like, like don't like, like leave here today and be like, okay, man, whatever I want, like I'm just going to go for it. Who cares? You know, like, like no, 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 no. We said like faith-fueled, like, like, faith-fueled risks. And so we're not presuming on the kindness of God. You don't put God to the test and just like, you know, you count the cost for whatever you have going. But, but I do believe that, that we are so risk-averse at times that we get driven by fear. And so we don't take that bold next step. And so we continue to walk in apathy. And when we're in fact called, like, like, like I think we get afraid where we don't want to face rejection. We don't want to face failure, so like, why try? And so I just want to keep gleaning. It's like, no, we're, we're called to live our lives. We're called to take bold next steps of faithfulness, yes, even when the outcome seems uncertain, but we are relying on the goodness and character of our God, knowing that that is certain and that never changes. And so we just continue to walk in faithfulness. And so, yes, we pray, we seek wisdom, counsel, discernment, all part of ascertaining what a good, bold next step might be. But, but at times, we, we need to take a big risk when it's clear that God is leading us towards this path of flourishing. Like, like Ruth had already experienced Boaz's kindness. She'd already been working this field for six to eight weeks. He was a bit of a known quantity. He was known in the community as a very like worthy man of valor. And so this wasn't just like, well, anyway, I just tried to swipe right, see who I could date on the apps and see how it worked out. Let the algorithm figure it out. I want to ask you, like, where is God calling you to take a calculated faith-fueled risk for the purposes of your growth and flourishing?
Maybe it's the risk of letting other people know that not everything in your life's perfect, that you actually need help, that there's something structurally wrong with your relationships, that there's something wrong with your finances, there's something wrong in your life, and you need help. Like, that's a risk. Because, like, oh, no, am I going to be rejected? Are they, are they going to look down? No, not in, a, not in a gospel community where we recognize that we're all broken, we're all sinners, we're, we're all people who need and are being redeemed. What is that risk that you need to take? For Ruth, the risk pays off. Boaz has great affection for her. She's seen as this worthy woman. She's demonstrated this character and faithfulness that's attractive to her. Like, like Boaz is clear. He's like, you are a worthy woman. You're amazing. This kindness you've done to me, he says, is, is kinder than what you did to Naomi to be good and kind to her. He's saying, Ruth, you actually had options. I think she knew that. He's like, you have other options and you, you chose me. Like there's, there's love and affection there. And you're like, what a great love story. I'm sure it worked out just fine. And like, there's no other issues. No, like any good romantic comedy, it looks like it's going to work out for two thirds of the time. And then it doesn't look like it's going to work out for a while. And then spoiler alert, it works out. Okay. Um, but that's where we're at now. We're now moving the last verses in Ruth here today to the place where, ooh, shoot. It's not just as easy as getting dressed up and showing up to the office Christmas party. Here it is. Verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And now it is true that I'm a redeemer, he says, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I, meaning a closer relative to the situation. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him go and do it. But if not uh, willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came into the threshing floor. And he said, bring your garment over here that you're wearing and hold it out. And she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and, and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how'd you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she, meaning Naomi, replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So there's an obstacle, like, like our, our paths of healing and our paths of wholeness are not straight line, everything gets better. There are obstacles, there are setbacks, and, there, and, and what we do in those times and those moments is we rely on the character and nature of God to continue to walk faithfully, trusting that God will either overcome those obstacles for us, or he'll be present with us as we endure them. And so... Here, there's another man who has the first right of refusal, if you will, to redeem uh, Naomi's uh, family and legacy and to marry Ruth. Uh, and so, um, like I said, our paths to flourishing and freedom, we will face obstacles, but we need to trust God. And so Boaz vows to redeem them if the other kinsman isn't willing. And so to be clear, this night on the threshing floor ends without a hint of anything illicit. In fact, even like, hey, we got to make sure appearances are good here. So you need to, to go before anybody accuses you of a walk of shame. And so but he says, but first, 
Like, like hold out your garment. And, and he says he gives her six measures of barley. Um, a couple different commentators on this. They were like, it's either 30 pounds or 80 pounds of grain. Like, this isn't just like, anyway, here's like a little sack of flour. It's like, no, no. All, can you, and you, here he is. It's just like heaped up on her. And she's just like, like I think that, that Ruth did some CrossFit. Um, because she's just like carrying this like, like, like big bag of barley in. And so she comes home and, and Naomi's like, I was waiting for the text. Like, what happened? And, and like, how, did, how did it go? Like, let's break down the date. And she's like, like, like puts down, you know, the grain. And um, she's like, well, we got a lot of barley out of the deal. Um, but uh, Boaz, he wanted to be really clear. He said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty. If you've been with us in this series, you know that that Naomi, when she came into Bethlehem, said, I am empty. What Boaz is saying to her, you may have shown up empty, but I want to make sure that you're full. He's saying, I'm going to do what I can and need to do to provide for Ruth, but also you, Naomi. He understands what the cost of redemption is going to be. And so Naomi you know, like, man, her, her, like, you can just see her as a, as a character through this book. Like, she's now moved not just from being proactive, but where Ruth is kind of like, oh, man, I heard there's, like, some other guy that maybe has claim to me or claim to the family. Naomi says, don't worry about that. Boaz is going to settle this today. I mean, she has moved from God is against me like, God, like, how could I have endured this? Why have I gone through this pain? To because of God's kindness to her. She has confidence and boldness that God is going to be faithful to them. That hope is more than possible. Hope is certain because of God's unrelenting love and kindness to us. And that leads us to Jesus. Like, Boaz is a redeemer for this family, but Jesus is the redeemer of God's people. And in Ephesians chapter one, verses seven and nine, it, it says this, talking about Jesus as a redeemer. It says, in him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, meaning the cross, the forgiveness of our trespasses, that means sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Like Boaz, Jesus is both our worthy and willing redeemer. But unlike Boaz, there isn't one near. In fact, there is no one else There is no other name under heaven and earth in which we can be redeemed other than the name of Christ Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And whatever you've experienced in in pain, in suffering, and loss uh, has been an obstacle for you to, to feel and experience and know God's kindness to you, he sees that as an obstacle of communion with God. I want you and I to know the biggest thing that is the obstacle between us and peaceful relationship with God is actually our sin. Yes, the sins that have been done to us, but also our sin in rejecting God. And and, 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 like that sin separates us from God. It separates us from one another. It it gives us shame that separates us from our sense of self. We don't have that settled identity like Ruth that says, I'm, I'm a servant who has allegiance and intimacy. 
So we feel like outsiders. We feel like outcasts. We feel hopeless. But God knows that the greatest obstacle we face to relationship with him is our sin. And so he provides grace and mercy to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ who lived the life we couldn't live, who died the death we deserve. And so I want you to know that when Jesus went to the cross, that's a bold move. Hey, I'm going to go and die for your sins. Well, it's a bold move. I want you to know for him, it wasn't a risky one. He wasn't like, hope this works. Just got to put myself out there. No. Like Boaz with Naomi, he knew what he was purchasing. He knew the redemption was certain. For the joy set before him, despising the shame, he would endure the cross so that you and I could be named sons and daughters in that family. That no matter what you've suffered or whatever your sin is, it is not beyond the grace and mercy of God. And he, and he gives you more than just like, like 80 pounds of barley. Man, he just says he, he lavishes grace upon grace on you now and forever. And, and, and maybe you're like, well, that worked for, for Ruth. I mean, she was clearly attractive. She had good character. She was seen by all as a worthy woman. I've got such good news for you today. You do not need to clean yourself up to be redeemed by the grace and mercy of God. You do not need to be presentable to him and and hope that he receives you. You can know that while you were yet a sinner, Romans says, Christ died for you. While you were unworthy, while you were unattractive, while you were broken, while you were in great loss and grief, he says, I want you at that point, not the point of your healing and wholeness, I want you at your worst And I'm here to redeem you from the slavery of sin, from the slavery of shame. And I'm here to give you hope for for his presence and protection in this life and, and glory in eternity with him. That is what Jesus does in redemption. So today might be the day that you need to settle your matter with God. Maybe you've gone through something terrible. You're like, God, how can you let this happen? I want you to know, God is kind and good, and he is for you. Maybe you've done something, you're like, I just can't forgive them, I can't forgive myself. No, God's there to forgive you. And he's there to move you from spiritual emptiness to spiritual fullness by his mercy and grace. And so in a moment here, we're going to take communion, and we're going to remember God's mercy and grace to us by Jesus' body being broken for us on the cross by his blood being shed on the cross for us. That's what we remember when we take the bread and dip it in the cup. So that we can be bold and rest in God's faithfulness to to provide, to protect, to heal, and to lavish wholeness on us now and forever as we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.